mystery plays with fire and bell on wagons and carts to the house of Ravel. Welcome back to House of Revels, Theatre Through the Ages. I'm Mingma. And I'm Olivia. And we are theatre practitioners taking you on a journey through the history of theatre in Britain. From naught to now. Each episode we discuss a different theatre style, its context, origin and form, before scoring each said theatre style in four separate categories. Finally, we decide if this theatre style deserves a place in the House of Revels, the great and noble hall where only the best of British theatre lives. And this week we are exploring mystery plays. Very mysterious uh, and fun. But like they're not like murder mystery plays. Basically, in brief, before we get into it, mystery plays were plays of the 14th to the 16th century that dramatised the events of the Old and New Testament. They form cycles known as mystery cycles. So that's kind of what we're going to be covering today, um, which is very exciting. I, I mean, I know that I've got excited about um, religious dramas before, but actually, I'm not going to lie to you, this one really hits. Like, it's a really good one, so it should be really good. Is it, when you say cycles, is that kind of like promenade for us nowadays? It's kind of like the... I can't really think of a modern day equivalent because... When when you say promenade, explain a bit more about what you mean, sorry. Uh, promenade meaning that... Uh, well, I mean, promenade is a pretty broad title as well, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, basically <laughs> meaning that action takes place in different places. Yeah, yes. So the action takes place in different places, but also they're cyclic because they um, cycle through the events of the Old and New Testament. And they take place in a cycle. So they'd start in one day and they'd like cycle cycle through if that makes sense okay so it would take place in multiple locations but it would also be a cycle that they you'd start with you might start with i don't know adam and eve the so, creation so could you end up with if you're doing the new testament could you end up with like 12 jesuses scattered around the town yes okay this is the thing we, yeah we talk about yeah there's there are it's like immersive theater but also repetitive theater it'll hopefully make sense once we get into it it's one of those things where once you, if you actually saw a picture of it, you'd probably understand it more, but that's not very helpful for a podcast format. Um, but no, so it's going to be exciting. So shall we get into the context? Here we discuss the current day events. As this form developed, what else was going on in history? What social, economic, political movements might affect the performance? Okay, so we're looking at mystery plays um, and they're around the 14th to the 16th century. So the 14th century was basically one, what I've written as one big cluster storm. We think the 21st century has been pretty shit. Honestly, Mingo, this century, the more I was looking into it, I was like, these poor, poor people. (laughs) Environmental problems, you've got wars, you've also got a whole bunch of other stuff. Mm. So we have the Magna Carta, the Great Charter. So this, uh, as you probably know, Mingo, because you know Mm -hmm. much more about these things than I do, uh, was basically um, kind of implemented in 1215 when the ruler King John, who was not a great guy. I always find with King John, it's he's one of those kind of characters where in most of history, there's a revisionist. When you're, you always, when you're learning about any topic in history, you have the original view, you then have the revisionist, and then normally you end up with the post-revisionist mm. as well. So you have one person mm. saying, this guy was terrible. No, he isn't. Actually, mm, 
happens about mm. 50 years later. The thing is with King John, I don't think anyone's made the case for him being not not awful. <laughs> he's <laughs> just like, yep, yeah, he's awful. We'll draw the line. Mm. Um, um, so he imposed these heavy taxes on barons um, to pay for the wars that were happening. Um, if they refused to pay, he seized their lands and punished them. So the barons captured London and King John was made to negotiate. Um, and those negotiations are the Magna Carta. They were like written down. Perhaps the big thing, which something to talk about though, is the Black Death. So the Black Death first came in 1340. Its peak was 1348 to 1350. So kind of right in the middle of the 14th century. Um, it's actually quite strange researching this, but and also being in a panic because I'm like, it's making me feel slightly better, but also not at all. Um, so the Black Death was also known as the bubonic <laughs> plague. It came from Asia. Some people think it came from Tibet. And it was carried by rats, mice and fleas. Um, and it kind of, I think I remember learning about this at school. It kind of jumped on the boats with the people. Uh, so it was an infection with the bacterium Yersinia pestis. Um, and the lymph nodes swell and sometimes burst. High fever, people vomited blood, and the extremities and extremities? extremities and the faces turned black, causing it to be called as the Black Death. So in the fourteen in fourteen hundred, the population of England was half of what it had been a hundred years earlier. So you've got the depopulation or disappearance of about one thousand one hundred English towns. So you've got the Black Death, you've got the Magna Carta, you've also got what I think is going to be very relevant because we are talking about churchy drama is the Great Schism. So you've got this Roman Italian Pope, Urban VI, and a French Pope, uh, Pope Clement VII. It gets even more complicated because at one point during 1409 and 1413, there were three popes. So we have, I feel like I'm playing that shopping game. You have the Magna Carta, you have the Black Death, and you have the Great Schism. All right, uh, so shall we move on to origins? This is the section where we discuss the origins of the theatre style. We trace its beginnings and what influenced its development. This includes stuff going on in other countries. So there are two possible origins for mystery plays. So as I mentioned, mystery plays are plays that describe and dramatise the events of the Old and New Testament. Mm -hmm. So if you remember back to the Anglo-Saxon early Christian drama episode, we talked about the um, Quam Quirutus, the Whom Do You Seek, the Antiphonal Singing, the kind of Jesus mm -hmm. of Nazareth, the Three Marys Visiting the Tomb, that, that boy. And so this was really popular and kind of the birth of the English mm. theatre, so to speak. It started a large chain reaction of priests and members of the clergy performing dramas inside the church. So they performed similar things like the nativity. These moved out to the outdoors, so churchyards and public marketplaces, and they were performed in Latin with a vernacular prologue which gave a synopsis of the event. So a person would start off and say, in kind of the common language, this is what's going to happen, and then they'd watch it in Latin. So this was kind of one possible um, route into mystery plays. The other idea that we have is the kind of Christianizing of the pagan midsummer festivals. So there's a desire of the Catholic mm -hmm. Church to remove pagan traditions. We also talked, I think, a little bit about the overlapping of kind of, oh, how funny that your festival coincides with the birth of Jesus Christ type thing in previous episodes. So the pagan celebrations of May Day in Midsummer and the Feast of Corpus Christi mm. um, yeah. fall at about the same time. So the Feast of Corpus Christi happens 60 days after Easter in either late May or June. Um, and it's about the same time, as I said, as the pagan Midsummer Festival. So it's kind of like, did they 
was this a direct were mystery plays direct from the early liturgical drama or were they kind of something that was added in order to aid with this takeover of um pagan festivals it's probably a combination of the two it's probably that thing of they're very popular and it's quite a convenient timing mm. so that's kind of how they started it's important to note though um that in St. the Third banned members of the clergy from performing in these mystery plays, and so the responsibility of the performance transferred to town guilds. So it had been clergy, um, like priests and stuff, performing in these mystery plays, and then that was removed. So they very much went from being part of the church to being not part of the church. But although they didn't take place inside the church, the Catholic church still approved and sanctioned the mystery plays. So there's still a religious connection there. So actually, it's um, it also feeds into what you were saying early, early about Alfred and uh, believing in the way of teaching the Bible was in, to use performance and hot seating and this kind of stuff. Mm. So it's interesting that, again, it's this moment of kind of retraction when it comes to um, what what's useful. I, I think, pro- I mean, correct me if I'm wrong about this, but it feels also this thing that the church has so much got a hold now. It no longer needs to rely on certain things to persuade people into their flock. It wasn't sort of a way to get people. It was more a way to spread the message, like spread it. It's like, we know mm. we've got your attention. This is a really effective way of spreading the message. Like mm. that's they had that security at this point. Yeah. Um, people people so they, heard the message. It's now it's next stage. It's now the next stage. It's, it's getting that really drilled in and to changing your sort of viewpoint of the world. It's interesting that um, I think also you know, this mystery plays and a lot of these kind of more rural traditions are so cover such an enormous period. But I think that probably should be worth mentioning that really life doesn't change much in the country. Speaking as someone who's grown up <laughs> in the middle of nowhere, you get <laughs> you do get a feeling of this place being old as hills and life absolutely staying. So, I mean, I come from basically heartland Wessex in terms of where I've grown up. And uh, my closest town is Salisbury. And I live in one of, I think there's something like seven valleys which all flow into Salisbury. Even with cars and even in the modern day, the way of transport and the way that we go to places and this kind of stuff, it's all basically the same as Saxon times. Hmm. There is the Oxtrove, which is on the top of the hills where all of the cattle used to kind of go through to the market. But we still, Salisbury is the market town. It's the heartland for all of these valleys to come into there to meet and then go back out to their more parish areas. Mm. My point is that when we look at mystery plays and look at these kind of things, stuff does not change for centuries because it doesn't need to. And it's it's part of kind of the way of life. I, I think so, yeah. I mean, this is pretty much, we talked about, it's kind of 200 odd 200 300 odd years of these mystery plays being really popular which is quite a long time if you consider 200 years ago the kind of plays that were being kind of put on that if they would still being put on today mm. and if that was the main theater style like do you know what i mean it's quite radical it's quite radical when you think actually this existed these for so long. For so long. And it's the same mm. con it's the same biblical content. I mean it's slightly there's slight variations, but it's the same they're not loads of news being produced, so No. It was their it was their inheritance mm. in a way as well. Think about it in, in that form. Onwards. So, uh Liv, uh what is a mystery play? Okay, so a mystery play is a late medieval play from a mystery cycle. Dramatizing an event from the scriptures. I know I'm repeating this a lot, but it's a little bit to get your head around so 
Mm. A mystery cycle is a sequence of mystery plays performed in the course of a day by different guilds of a particular town, usually at the Feast of Corpus Christi. So we had this feast, and then accompanying the feast, Mm -hmm. we had the mystery cycles. Um, The mystery cycles, really important, even though we're focusing on them, they weren't the main event of the feast, as we will see later. It was the procession of the host, which was the main event of the feast. So the Mm -hmm. mystery cycles were kind of like the thing, but they weren't the main event themselves. It's really important to note as well that not all the cycles were performed during the Feast of Corpus Christi. For example, Chester's cycle, which we'll talk about, was performed at Whitson and later moved to Midsummer. So um, even though they're sometimes referred to as Corpus Christi plays and they're generally associated with the Feast of Corpus Christi, it's not always the case. Um, so this is where mm-hmm. we get into a little bit confusing because we've got mystery plays, mystery cycles, Corpus Christi plays. We're covered in asterisks. Covered in asterisks. <laughs> but basically, the lowdown is a mystery play, a play from a mystery cycle dramatising an event from the Old and New Testament. That's the lowdown. Can be applied different things. Why are they called mystery plays? Okay, so they're called mystery plays for two reasons, which it's basically one of those things, actually, where the whole name gives you kind of quite a lot of information about the plays. So you've got the mysteries as in, like, the mysteries of God. Um, but they were also organised, funded and produced by town guilds, which are, which were also called mysteries. So it comes from the Latin name Mysterium. Um, <laughs> I love the idea of government being mysterious. Government being Ugh. mysterious. But, <laughs> yeah. So And guilds were associations of craftsmen or merchants who were in charge of regulating and teaching their trade. So there were loads and loads and loads of guilds. I think there were like at one point 80 or 90 different guilds so it's yeah i mean i think in london my dad is part of the carpentry guild i mm. think of the city of london but there's something like 27 of them yeah it's uh you know and they all have to wear funny hats and, and wander around in the every year it's it's not like oh it's just people like it's not because we go okay craftspeople nowadays you go okay shoemakers butchers carpenters like there were loads of them so that's why they're called mystery plays. Going back to the Mysteries of God section, um, so they would show the creation of the universe from the creation and to the last judgment. Um, but they had like the fall of Lucifer, Abel and Cain, Noah and the flood. I don't think I've ever heard people call it Abel and Cain. <laughs> Do you know what? As I said it, I went, that's the wrong way around. <laughs> It's Cain and Abel. I don't know. It's like when you have like a couple and you go, they always go by a certain way. And then you say that couple the other way around and you're like, why is it wrong? Doris and Vera, not Vera and Doris. (laughs) Like, it's really weird. Um, The mystery plays themselves would give the guilds the opportunity to advertise. So, for example, a play about Noah's Ark would be sponsored by the shipbuilders um, who would provide the Ark itself. Then the goldsmiths would be in charge of the Magi, denoting lavish gifts as props. You'd also have, you know... um, So it's basically product placement. It's basically really heavy product placement, but it kind of... (laughs) Which is so clever when you actually think about it. Like the steel, uh, the guild of steel makers would make the nails for the crucifixion scene. And like that's, it was so detailed, the amount of um, kind of thought that went into who got each guild. But the guilds were also Mm. in charge of acquiring the actors. So the actors would be ordinary people who just had a flair for the dramatic. So there'd be people, you know, your neighbours, your butcher, your teacher, your sister. Um, Mm -hmm. Your mate Dave. Your mate Dave, exactly. Your mate Dave. 
And the plays were performed in a separate pageant wagon with wheels so that it can be moved. So, in short, you've got a guild in charge of one of the plays. You've got the, the play being performed by your friends and your townspeople. Mm-hmm. And they're performed on this wagon, which is basically like this big cart with wheels. Kind of like, it's a bit like a puppet show, if you imagine that sort of classic kind of small scale stage, um, but much bigger. Yeah, yeah, with wheels. Okay, yes. Um, oh, oh, you mean in terms of like the cart? In wise, terms of yes, like the cart-wise, that sort of feel of being in one scene. Um, and they had station to station staging, so the pageants would go one by one and perform around the town. So, for example, you might have pageant A at station one, and then pageant A would move to station two, and station three, and station four. So you might have twelve pageant wagons carts at different stations Mm -hmm. and then the audience so the audience could either sit at um location one and watch as all the different wagons came through or they could move along and go to different stations so it was kind of like the beginnings of immersive theater so to speak and that you could interact it also reminds me of carnival in its own way you know like floats yeah i mean the Mm. the kind of procession of the host as well was very much people moving through an area so it was all outdoors it was all kind of very free and like you say like kind of moving through things um the carts themselves are really expensive to uphold and make so um at for example at Mm. chester two or three guilds whose plays were performed on different days sometimes cut their overheads by showing the same cart so they would show it in different yeah yeah there are four surviving compilations, not all of them are cycles. The most complete is the York Cycle, which is 48 little playlets, sometimes called um, pageants because of the carts and the wagons, and that's how they refer to them. Pageantry, I suppose. Pageantry, exactly. Yeah. Pageantry. Um, we've also got the Townley Plays, sometimes called the Wakefield Cycle. It was once thought to be a true cycle of plays performed at Wakefield, but this is not the case, and so they refer to now as the Townley Plays. The N-Town Plays... Um, an edited compilation of at least three older unrelated plays, the Chester cycle, which is 24 plays. Um, and then we also have two pageants from a New Testament cycle acted at Coventry and one pageant each from Norwich and Newcastle upon Tyne. It's important to note that this is all across Europe. This wasn't just an English thing. We've got um, mystery plays in France and Italy and Spain. There's loads of them. And there are also three Cornish mystery plays written in um old Cornish that form the Ordinalia. Mm-hmm. Um, there were others that were lost. So there's evidence of mystery plays in London, um, e.g. in Clerkenwall, uh, but we just don't we just don't have them. So those are the looking at this. There's nothing from the southwest apart from Cornwall. Or, you know, in a you know. these are the ones that we know have definitely survived. Mm-hmm. So going through them individually, then. So mm-hmm. York. This is the most complete one, and it's also the longest one. So um, in one day at least 48 individual plays would be performed in York. So the day would start at 4.30 in the morning um, with, I know, uh, with the wagons known as pageants parading through the streets. Um, there were 12 special places on the streets, so actors would go to those 12 moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and these were designated by the city banners. The first mention of the York cycle is 1376, and the last performance is 1569. So were these, were they always almost verbatim? You just bring out the old plays, which you would always do. Hmm, that's an interesting one. I mean, I think so. I think it was very much, this is set set of plays. 
I know that there are, we talk a bit, a bit about the authorship later. I mean, we don't, what we don't know is how, if all of the plays were performed each year or how many times okay. they were performed at each station, if that makes sense. So we don't know for sure, like, all of these plays were performed or maybe only a selection were performed. Um, no, fair enough. Um, yeah, I mean, I was thinking, you know, my nativity, it was mm. always the same script. You know, we always, you know, just changed who was playing it. Do you know, I can't remember if my nativity was always the same script or you just got ever so slightly different parts. No, with us, it was absolutely the same, the same, same script, same everything. They just kind of got handed out, handed back each time. No, oh. you know. It doesn't sound particularly fun, though. No, it was absolutely fine, because it meant that you got to be Mary, and you'd watch someone do it last time, so you got to do it better. <laughs> oh my god, that's awful. <laughs> it was like exactly the same staging, it was everything, but you know. Just um, so, so I could see them just, you know, rolling out the same old. Mm. Um, well, if it was the same guilds that were doing it, mm. it would be similar things. Save your product placement, not have to kind of redo a new cart each time. <laughs> The next cycle is the Chester cycle. So this was first mentioned in 1422, so this is later. There are 25 plays, one has been lost. They were copied late into their existence, though, so we don't know how, mm. you know. Um, and these are quite different to the York and Wakefield cycles, or the York and Townley cycles. Um, so a thing about the cycles and the plays in them is that they're often really funny and really realistic. So they'll often be set in England. So it'll be raining, people will be their wives, um, as we will see later in the riot that is the Second Shepherd's play. And they'll have loads of humour. But this Chester cycle wasn't qu- quite like that. It was a bit more distance. It was a bit more, like, austere and, like, oh, serious. Uh... Next, we have the N-Town plays. So the N-Town plays are quite different. So there are a touring cycle of East Anglian origin. So the N is an abbreviation of the Latin um, nomen, meaning a name. So the speaker would have filled in the name of the town, kind of a bit like a (laughs) stand-up comedian coming and saying, hello, Leicester! And everyone going, yes! So they'd be like, this is the the Neaton Town play. Um, I love they actually have just called the end. That's what they called the end town. The end town plays. The insert insert here. Insert here, whatever (laughs) town you are in. Um, They were also suspected to be performed by a professional group. So in the other plays, each of the um, guilds provide the actors. So you might have, as you said, twelve people playing Jesus Christ. Um, But in the end town plays only a single player is required to play Christ and the other characters with multiple performances. So we think it may be a professional troupe to kind of keep down costs. Okay, we have one Jesus and he appears. It also, to be fair, it's so much more like a troupe to have, to be travelling. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, rather than being, you know, my own backyard panto. Yeah. And also these were really expensive things. So I can fully imagine that sometimes towns, smaller towns, exactly, for example, might not have been able to... I don't want to say might not have been able to afford them, but they are big deals, if that makes sense. Um, but, you know, travelling players, as we've, you know, talked about, uh, are a thing. Yeah. It's not a, a... Yeah, it's not a completely unheard of. Um, yeah. And then the penultimate one we has mentioned in 1392, um, the carts were possibly pulled using horsepower. So the other ones were pushed... But these ones had horsepower. Only two plays. Oh my god! Can you imagine the muscles on those blokes? You had to push. What? I know. I know. And they were like pretty heavy things, as we mm. will see when we get to sleight of hand. They were big, big boys. Um, but there were two plays surviving from a New Testament cycle, um, and the plays were all apparently given in a single day. Wow. 
Yeah. So, again, a big cycle of things. Mm. Um, the final cycle is the Wakefield cycle or the Townley plays. Um, it shares five of the plays with York. So there is some like crossover between the plays. The last performance of the Wakefield cycle or the Townley plays was 1576. Um, they reference Horbury, which is a town three miles southwest of Wakefield, so it's believed to have been performed in Wakefield. That's why we think it's most famous for the second Shepherd's play and the Wakefield Master. So that leads us on quite nicely to the topic of authorship of these plays. So none of the authors of the mystery plays are known, but we can sometimes group some of the plays together based on similar styles and forms. So we can guess, okay, a single author wrote these plays because mm. they use this defining feature. So one of these authors is titled The York Realist. He's cited with the authorship of eight plays in the York cycle concerning the passion. Um, his or her or their distinctive feature is this subtle portrayal of bad guys like Herod and um, Pilate. Kind of in a sort of not very, in like a not a caricature way, but like in a sort of more sinister, subtle way. Which okay. is kind of like, kind of if you think about like how Shakespeare villains aren't, rah, they're kind of complicated. They're sympathetic, they aren't entirely disnified. If you look at like Iago, he's not going around going, I hate everyone, stabby, stabby, stabby all the time. No, he's not. Yeah. This is fair. Um, but the most famous of the authors is the Wakefield Master. It's not really, no- not much is known about him, but... It's thought the plays he wrote dated from about 14 to 1450. The plays of the Wakefield mm. Master are identified by their unique stanza form, which is nine lines rhyming A, 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 B, C, 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 B, with internal rhymes in the first four lines. So to give you an example of what this sounds like, mm-hmm. I have a section here of Shepherd's play. We that walk in the nights are cattle to keep. We see sudden sights when other men sleep. Yet methink my heart light... I see shrews peep. Ye to all whites, I will give my sheep. A turn, but full ill have I meant. As I walk this bent, I may lightly repent my toes if I spurn. So it's actually quite complex, but this can also be mm. interpreted as a 13-line stanza. So the first bit, we, we that walk in the nights, our cattle to keep, can be read as one line with an internal rhymes or two separate lines due to the space-saving techniques that they use, so it's either nine lines or 13 lines. Along with this unique stanza format, the author used modern-day technology, so like ploughs and mills um, and forges, and colloquial speech among the dialogue. This is really fun. So in the second Mm. Shepherd's play, which we're going to be exploring in a second, the Wakefield master gives them different accents. So the villain... Mac has a southern accent and the main characters <laughs> use regular dia- dialect being in the northern midlands so that's quite an interesting thing like having characters which have specific specific voices um and like very much a casting of southern accent northern accent written into it as well written into it as well like it's a thing um so the second shepherd's play which is our example play for today which Exciting. it's called the second shepherd's play because there's also another play about shepherds that came before it that's basically what it is i thought it was like um i'm not i'm not the primary shepherd i'm the second <laughs> shepherd I'm, I'm the one who's gonna tell master <laughs> i mean it could be but no there's another it's just basically there's another shepherd's play before it um so the plot of the shepherd's play is hilarious basically Mingma. so a common thing that they do which we'll talk about a bit more later is they'd update these um biblical stories so they weren't 
completely attached to the bible they had like some kind of freestyle uh mm-hmm. modern day references to kind of draw the audience in as we shall see mm. so the play starts with three soliloquies given by the three main shepherds cole gibb and gill they complain about the weather it's incredibly cold and wet for the middle east uh basically this is yeah this is the beginning <laughs> of oh it's in england what it's cold and wet we're in England. We're in Northern England. Yay. Um, the second mm. shepherd also complains about his marriage and encourages young men in the audience to never get married. Jokes, jokes, jokes. I know. They're later joined by a thief map disguised as a yeoman and he complains of hunger. A yeoman is a commoner servant or attendant in noble households. So, fun nerd fact, mm. Anne Hathaway's dad, Shakespeare's wife, was a yeoman. Oh, nice. You can tell I'm reading Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell, which actually I'd really <laughs> recommend Mengma. The shepherds see through Max's disguise. They know who he is. Um, he too complains about his wife, so they let him sleep with them for the night in their little field. Ooh, <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, my wife's awful. I don't want to go home. They're like, well, just sleep with us and the sheep. Um, I hope that's a euphemism. <laughs> well, I don't think it is because during the night, Mac casts a sleeping spell. Magic. Um, on the shepherds and steals one of their sheep. He takes it back to his cottage and his wife worries about the repercussions of his theft. She comes up with a cunning plan too. Okay, you've got to pick one of the solutions, Mingma. A. Disguise the sheep as a baby and hide it in the cradle. B. Eat the sheep really quickly. Or C. Shave the sheep and pretend it is a rabid dog. Okay, I'm thinking either A or C, Mm -hmm. depending on which theatre tradition this is inspired later on. (laughs) Because in Shakespeare, they always love the clown with the dog. So I can see that, you know, oh, is this a reason to bring a dog on? Uh, but also I can see Panto. So I'm going to go with um, hiding the baby as a, hiding the sheep as a baby. Yes, that is what they do. They put the baby, <laughs> they put the sheep as a baby in the cradle. Um, and then Mac returns to the shepherds in the field and he wakes up with them as if nothing has happened. Um, the shepherds realise they are down a sheep and they go to Max's cottage. They are initially fooled by the fake baby, but eventually realise the baby in the cradle is a sheep. Like, this is absurd. This is ridiculous. <laughs> so they wrap Mac in cloth and beat him up. Okay, any particular reason? Well, they're just like, you stole our sheep. We're going to beat you up. No, no, I mean, wh- why why wrap him in cloth? <laughs> I think it's just to humiliate him a little bit. Stagecraft. Stagecraft as well. Wrapping people in cloth. Yeah. End of story. Or is it... Ooh. They go and have a rest, and then an angel appears to inform them of the birth of baby Jesus. So they go to Bethlehem to visit him. They bring three gifts with them, Mingma. What are those gifts? Uh, they are gold, frankincense, and Mary is mine, it's beautiful. No. Oh. They are cherries, a bird, and a ball. Right. Yes, Mingma. They are. Um, okay. So... I have no idea why they bring cherries a bird in a ball. Um, please, please tell me it is um, product placement. I mean, it could. Yeah. <laughs> I wish. But actually, to be honest, cherries a bird in a ball are more appropriate gifts for a baby than gold, frankincense, and myrrh, I feel. I mean, this is true. But, oh, God, please. No, I, I now just have this vision of, like, um, and this year the shepherds bring him Abel's. <laughs> you know, the best apples of American so-and-so. How are you feeling about this, Jesus? Is this a good treat for you? Oh, good. <laughs> you can just see the product placement. I love that they're American in this story as well. But, mind, the whole thing was product placement, really, because it's like, look at these lovely gifts that we've given. Oh, we actually sell them too. Um, yes. 
so the story does have a biblical meaning it's about redemption um they have a difficult life but they forgive mac they only humiliate him they could have killed him so they are rewarded by being told about baby jesus so if you do some order i know if you do some charity you get nice things um mac doesn't get told about the baby jesus because he lies throughout the whole play so he doesn't get a reward but he still manages he still gets to keep the sheep do you know i don't think they resolve the sheep issue i imagine the shepherds take the sheep back unless the sheep's been um been too acclimatized to being in a cradle (laughs) that is the second shepherd's play so it's quite uh it's quite jokes i like it it's the most famous of the mystery plays okay so we've got all of these bonkers elements Mm -hmm. we don't have gold frankincense now we have men and sheep in cradles and getting but what's this actually about what's the moral live the moral is be nice and forgive people by only humiliating and them not killing them and you'll get told about baby jesus <laughs> naturally and you have to give baby jesus something so you're down a slightly confused sheep and uh, some yeah. gifts and a big trek i mean they never go back to their wives so i imagine they really i don't really know but it feels it feels more likely that they would have cherries a bird and a ball though how they took a a bird all the way to bethlehem also cherries is yeah. it in the middle of winter in the middle of winter oh. in the middle east but also northern england and also performed yeah. in the middle of summer this yeah. is going well all right now should we move on to the scoring yes um, now we move on to the scoring we score each theater style in four separate categories sleight of hand scandal ripple or riot and legacy we give each a score out of 10 leading to a max total out of 80 finally we decide whether it deserves to join the illustrious house of revels so sleight of hand here we explore the stagecraft in this theatre style. The props, the tricks, and the trapdoors. So, Liv, any trapdoors? I mean, Mingma, hold your bloody horses, mate. This is going to get really exciting. Ooh, ooh, all right. No, I actually am so excited. So the first thing I've got for sleight of hand <laughs> is just the fact that you have guilds in charge of a pageant, and then the advertising and the sorting of local people and the like. pageants themselves are pretty expensive and badass, that's the first thing, which I think is pretty cool. And the whole kind of thing of, you know, shipwrights doing building Noah's Ark and all that sort of stuff, which is in a way a sight of hand itself. It's kind of using the best people to do the best job. Um, but we also have music. So we have nine songs with text and music have that have remained. So Oh wow, we still have we still have the music. Yeah. So we've got one from Chester, three from York with each text set twice to different music and two from Coventry mm-hmm. one of the songs from Coventry is the Coventry Carol um, which was traditionally performed in Coventry as part of the pageant of the Shearman and Taylor's the Nativity play oh. the Carol is the second of three in the play and it refers to the massacre of the innocents and takes the form of a <laughs> yeah, I know it's not that great it's <laughs> It's a carol, it's happy, and it's about the massacre of innocence. Wait for it, Mingma. It refers to the massacre of innocence, and it takes the form of a lullaby sung by mothers to the doomed children. (laughs) So... Oh, wow. um, I mean, you can't say they haven't got a sense of humour, can you? I mean, it's... But it's a really popular... um, It's still going today, the Coventry Carol. It's like a thing. I didn't really know about it, but I researched it. I was like, oh, it's it's a car- it's like a well-known carol. Yeah, I, I, re- I recognise the name, so I probably would have sung mm. it at some point. And to be fair to them, uh, you know the whole thing of, the, of Ring of Ring of Roses is Black Death. 
Yeah. So you know, most of our most of our lullabies and nursery rhymes are pretty bloody dark once we once we get into it. London's burning. It's like <laughs> we sing <laughs> that, and we're like burning. London's burning. It's like no. <laughs> Can you imagine if you started going? That house is burned. <laughs> Anyway, so we have this carol of sung to doomed children. Um, the single surviving text of the carol and the pageant containing it was edited by Robert Crow, who dated his manuscript 14th of March, 1534. So that's to give it some context. Crow was the manager of the city's pageant, so he was like the producer, so to speak. Wow, he organised so, them. I mean, that's Henry VIII, I think. I mean, yeah, we're rapidly approaching Shakespeare time. From the text of the plays that we have... Um, we can add the titles of a further 51 Latin and seven English songs named in the stage directions or during the action, as well as 34 unnamed pieces of music. So there was lots of music used in these um, mystery plays. Mm -hmm. So that's what Sight of Found. We also have lots of props. So the stage directions give us loads of evidence for props, including, but not limited to, stools, cushions, swords, can with water, basin with towel, grave slash tomb, ladder to take Christ from the cross, <laughs> fake heads, robes and clothes, a scepter, crown of thorns, and an actual rib bone was used in the creation scene nice. in the Coventry Mysteries. Oh, um, nice. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Stage directions from Satan and um, Pilate's wife, play 31 from the End Town plays, show that the, the play was performed on a raised scaffold with substantial scenery, including a curtain and a bed. So an uh, important thing to note about the scenery, which is fun as well, mm. is that instead of a backdrop appearing, actors would move from one location to the other. So you'd see an actor move from a bedroom into a field. Say, uh, no, wait, wait, say, say that again. Say that again. What, the stage directions... Uh, the thing about them moving, is that that the backdrop changes or is it that... Uh... So it's not that the backdrop changes. So imagine you had a stage. One half yeah. of the stage might be like the live, living room and the other half might be the field and the actor would move from the living room to the field rather than like a backdrop chain coming down and showing the difference. Okay, I see. I hear you. I hear you. All right. Yes. All right. Onwards to the most exciting bit. So most exciting bit is the use of fire, which I'm just like, what the actual hell uh so from evidence in account books and stage directions we know fire was used so for example in um abram and isaac play page 65 here abram taketh a sword and fire um <laughs> he was lit it was lit it was lit 1557 item paid for keeping of fire at hellmouth uh more example examples in the chester cycle then a flame shall descend upon the sacrifice of abel so we have the use of fire which i think is pretty bloody impressive considering i mean these things were made out of wood and they just had fire yeah. like there must have been some sort of fire at some point i've been thinking recently about the old ideas of heaven and hell and mm. how actually none of it is relevant to us anymore because we don't actually know what physical pain is particularly you know, in the in the form that people of this time would have, you know, oh, broken bones, and you know, so for them, the idea of hell being nothing but physical torment would absolutely be just terrifying, because you knew mm. really in your everyday, you not know, what real, real kind of pain was. Whereas nowadays mm. we don't. I wonder with um, you know, with fire and this kind of stuff, they would they'd just be so much more used to the dangers of what something could be. So actually, they'd be happier to use it. I think is what I was thinking. Because mm, um, they'd be more aware of what could go wrong, do you think? I think so. And also, you know, mm. um, 
hey, you know, I, I, I cut off my finger yesterday, so, you know, <laughs> getting a bit of a burn is not much of an issue. <laughs> yeah, relative, it's the relativity of a fire, yeah. of burning isn't so bad. The final thing for sleight of hand, though, is, is uh, these were performed in the local language, so people understood them which is great. And so they had up-to-date settings and they made references to local landmarks. Um, and they were accessible to all. They were just on the open street. So they were, people could, anyone could see them basically. Um, and the other thing is they kind of took a lot of liberty with the characters. So Noah in Noah's Ark is a drunk and his wife is like, basically nags him a lot. Um, to be fair, in the Old Testament, I read this up recently after watching, you know, the kind of the big epic Noah film with Emma Watson. I haven't watched that, but yeah. Well, I read up the story afterwards and he does. It's, it's literally in the original text that he ends up laid up wasted on the beach later on. <laughs> it is actually in the text. That's fair. <laughs> but the other thing they've got is um, in the York play of the crucifixion, when Jesus is being nailed to the cross, the soldiers argue about things and kind of are basically really incompetent so they've got this idea of putting comic elements in to kind of relate to the pe- local people um and the idea because the whole thing of like the catholic church might see this as a bit like oh um but it was just a way to it didn't detract from the important messages it was just a way to amuse um all right so we have to have you've got the music which is quite exciting mm-hmm. having the number of times i've said before yeah there's definitely music we have no record of it yeah. at all so um, so that's really interesting. And we have product placement, which I suppose is a kind of sleight yeah. of hand in its own weird, nefarious way. Well, we definitely have lots of props. Yeah, yeah. undoubtedly. Uh, were there any trapdoors? Was there anything of that kind? Do we know? Or is it a... Uh, I mean, we have fire. So <laughs> fire I, mean, I, think that, I think that beats trapdoors. Oh, no, nothing beats a good trapdoor. We do have people descending into hell. I think it's pretty big. I think it's pretty juicy for yeah, a sleight of hand, to be honest. So. Um... I'm thinking seven. Go on, disagree with me. Disagree with me. Okay, Mingma. No, I just think I just think it should be higher. I'm gonna give it an eight because I think the fire and the fact that the we've got so much music and we've got the guilds themselves mm. creating the props and getting the actors. I think the whole thing and the adding in of non-biblical scenes, making it funny, relating it to the people, that in itself is a way of communicating the message. So I think it's pretty high. I'm going to give it an eight. Uh, so, Scandal. Ooh, Liv. Was there any juicy gossip surrounding this style on stage or off? Okay, so the only thing I could find uh, happened in York. So the cord wainers, who basically make shoes, mm-hmm. staged the agony and betrayal of Christ, rioted against the carpenters in 1419. <laughs> Why? Um... I don't really know. Like, they just... I think there were some disagreements between... My cross is better than your cross. Oh, no, you know, the cross... I can... Yeah, I can imagine people got really into these things. Like, if we're talking about 1419, this had been going for, what, almost 25... Pretty pretty established. But I think a lot of people also... Just tensions would be high because it's really a bit bloody... They rioted against the carpenters in 1419, and as a result, the authorities ruled that the plays would take place on Corpus Christi Eve, so that the feast could day could be kept free for the procession um, and church going. So it's kind of like before they'd all been on the same day. However, the Cordwainers then rioted against the weavers in 1490 and 1492. So it wasn't over for these Cordwain. 
to be honest, it sounds so like um, uh, Bake Off, where you just kind of go, sweetie, it's just a cake. But yeah, everyone's getting so emotional. <laughs> and then they come back for like the Christmas episode, and they're like, I'm so happy to be back for the Christmas episode. I will riot again. I mean, there would have been other scandal. There was the original scandal in, in the um, 1200s of the Pope saying no more. And of course... Spoiler alert, mystery plays do end. So there is that scandal, um, again, when they get cancelled. But that's more legacy-based. I think for the riots, I'll give it a two. Yeah, I was going to say two. I agree with Mm. you. Okay. Uh, So two, total of four. Mm. All right, so talking of riots, we're on to ripple or riot. Here we judge whether this style caused a ripple or... A riot. How socially controversial was its existence and content? Okay, so we actually have the first work of theatre criticism in English. The Trestees of Miraculous Playing. Uh, That is how I'm going to pronounce it. I don't know if it's right. Uh, By an anonymous author, uh, published around 1380 to 1425, um, they condemn the mystery plays for the blurring of the divine and the human. Um, so how could a human basically be playing Jesus? That's ridiculous. Like, we, we can't play Jesus. Mm. And this kind of harks back to earlier kind of condemnations of the church on acting of the kind of blurring between kind of wrong and right and everything. It was mm. also uh, blurring into Protestant movement uh, in its very, very severe form. There are no figurines of Christ, no figurines of saints, nothing. You know, it's all about the word and the word and the pedestal mm. and the word of God. And so anything which was trying to portray any of the stories was considered um, yeah. sacrilegious. These criticisms of the mystery plays were very much still in popular culture. They were big annual events and they were really popular. So it wasn't, it was still part of the social life. It wasn't like a big, <gasps> how could you do this thing? Um it was a ripple until it was a riot and it was like good until it was suddenly really bad in their reformation and everyone was like get rid of it so mm. i don't think it caused a big big riot personally a point five for the religious fanatics yeah i would agree with you it's a total of one yeah finally the legacy how has this theatre style influenced the future? Okay, so as we mentioned, the Refora- Reformation banned the Feast of Corpus Christi, and so the mystery plays, bye, 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 bye. But not immediately. They weren- didn't immediately go. People still sort of wanted them and kept them. So they've not been continuously performed, but they have got current day revivals. So the Chester Cycle has been performed every five years from 2013. So it's been performed in 2013, 2018. And the next one's in 2023. <laughs> um, every five years, but we've done it twice. <laughs> we've done it twice. The York Mystery Plays. Um, in 1998, York Guilds and companies established a four-year cycle. So the next cycle is in 20, not 2022. Um, and there have been famous actors who acted in mystery plays so Exciting. our beloved dame judy dench acted in the york mystery plays she was in the angel um in 1951 the angel at the tomb in 1954 and she played mary in 1957 so even though york created a regular cycle in 1998 mm. actually they were um there had been other sort of I think it was the Festival of Britain or something. They had had other showings of these mystery Uh, plays here and there. It wasn't a regular cycle, but they'd had like, okay, we're going to do some here and we're going to do some here and things. Yeah. So they have been around. 
people have known about them. Mm-hmm. But the, perhaps the biggest um, legacy of the mystery plays is, of course, Shakespeare. So, ah. so Shakespeare was born in 1564, and the Coventry final performance of the mystery plays was in 1581. So he would have been about 15 when they finished. Mm-hmm. Coventry was close to Stratford-upon-Avon. It's probably about a day's journey. And considering how popular the mystery plays were and how kind of they were like a big event and people travelled to see them, it's very likely that he would himself have possibly gone and seen one. Like, we can't say mm. for sure. We can't place him there. But it's kind of like living in London and not seeing, like, a West End show type thing. It's, if you're... And being an act, you know, being someone who's interested... Like, they were big deals. Um, Mm. there are actually some references to mystery plays in Shakespeare's work one of them I'm absolutely obsessed with so uh, in my um, during my masters I played the porter in Macbeth so the porter is normally I think written out of Macbeth because people see it as kind of weird he comes on there's a knocking he comes on and he's like oh what's all this knocking about and he tells some very early knock knock jokes to the audience um, which Oh, great. And he pretends to be, he imagines himself as the porter to hell. Um, and he imagines, like, letting different people into hell and why they're being let into hell. It's, like, a really random scene. Um, and mm. it was originally, I think, people think it put in to kind of provide time for costume changes and kind of some comic relief for the audience. But the actual porter scene itself um, has similarities to the mystery play, The Harrowing of Hell, where Christ demands entry to the gates of hell and is kept waiting by the porter, Ribald, who takes his awesome orders from Beelzebub. So the porter scene in Macbeth is kind of like a parody of those mystery scenes which the audience would have known. Um, So it's kind mm. of like that little much, which I thought was quite exciting. Um, we also mm. have the rude mechanicals in um, A Midsummer Night's Dream. The idea of tradespeople being actors, that's kind of quite mystery play-esque. Something that I think is really important and has been mentioned is it's worth talking about the effect of mystery plays on people. They were incredibly visual plays. People remembered seeing them, if not necessarily remembering kind of what happened. They'd see the images. So in 1644, which is you know, 80 years after they were kind of last performed, Mm. a man in Cartmel in Westmoreland was interviewed about what he knew about Jesus. And he said, I think I heard of that man you speak of once in a play at Kendall called Corpus Christi play, where there was a man on a tree and blood ran down. And the idea is that he didn't know much about Jesus, but all he could remember is this idea of um, a visual visual thing. So it's very much even... If Shakespeare hadn't remembered or, or studied the mystery plays, he might have seen one and been visually influenced by them. That's a really, really good point. It's also interesting, mm. here's my nerd coming out, um, that there's a whole argument around Shakespeare that the reason why it's so symbolic in his language, you know, mm. there's so many similes, there's so many metaphors, is because at that time people didn't care so much about the visuals mm. that they actually, you know, it is written that they'd go to hear a play, not to go and see a play. Yeah. And the difference, but that is a really interesting. That earlier, the visuals were the things which were the most impact, mm. most impactful. So that's quite. Mm, and mm, if you if you think about these plays being performed in busy areas, in busy town town kind of squares and halls with loads of people, you might not have you know we didn't they didn't all have projection lessons. Um, they might not have been able to hear at the back what they were saying, but they could see you know Jesus on the cross or the flood or you know fire in a sword, and so they mm. visualized them. Shakespeare, mystery, Shakespeare, mystery. Mystery plays. Like, they are the prevailing theatre form before we have 
the kind of Elizabethan Jacobean boys. Work. Um, boys. That is really interesting. Um, mm. How much of a modern influence do you think they have? A modern influence. Well, apart from the whole thing of them being re-performed, but that's just us kind of reigniting an arcane form. Mm. It's interesting because I don't want to be too London-centric about them because these are very like regional places, so like York and Chester, and um, I don't. Do you know? What I, mean? I don't know if if you were from York, you might say actually no. The mystery plays have a huge influence on on York and York culture. So I don't want to say oh, it has no influence because. Mm. And as we already said, I come Mm. from rural southwest and that isn't a single mystery play which is known to be around us. So So it's, I mean, I'd never heard of a, I'd never really heard of mystery plays before I started looking into them. Mm. Um, Uh, I'm afraid I think I'm going to be quite harsh on it because it's a, uh, mm. like also in terms of legacy of theatre, yes, Shakespeare, but also I think we can probably put about 200 different origins of shakespeare once we kind of get to it yeah um no i'm gonna give it a four whoa okay because um the other thing is that most people i think most people think theater in this country starts with mystery plays and as we've done a heck of a lot of episodes beforehand we can tell no but um there is that go on i can tell you're going to massively disagree i just feel i think you know what it is and i'm trying to detach myself because i played the porter and i struggled (laughs) with the scene and i was like why are we doing these jokes and now i feel that realization i'm like but it's big um i think it's a similar thing where you talk about uh when we talked about in the old english episode if we hadn't had the reformation and the stamping out of the mystery plays i wonder what they could have turned into and what they could have continued to be, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I'm going to give it a six. Even though I may hate myself later. I might hate myself later, but I'm going to do it. It's great, Liv. We're disagreeing. Are we disagreeing? And it's painful. <laughs> um, that leaves us with quite a low score, I feel. 30 out of 80. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, that is intriguing. But I think it's because it's the Ripple and Riot and the scandal which are low ah fair um all right so on to uh the final question which is does mystery plays deserve to join the house of rebels you know like i've been trying to i've been trying to both construct i've been trying to construct reasons for both um in my head because i my gut says yes but it's really hard to detach your like own personal connection to the mystery to them i just think the whole i mean that we don't really have anything like it anymore in terms of this idea of guilds taking over things and the the spectacle of it and the Mm. the kind of town community of it um the town elements i mean i would like them to but i don't think i'm torn as well i just i just feel they were so big and we know we know so much about them relatively speaking they did influence shakespeare they were around for about 300 years you know the the first work of theater criticism in english was written about them you know what? For the extreme amdram, I'll join you and say let's put it in. Yay! Um, because I think actually we we do need to make a massive point of things which 
styles which for ages and ages were highly important mm. to people. Yeah, that's what theatre is as well. And the fact that, you know, this was a style um, for so long that really, really was totally ingrained into culture. I think, I I think out of all the things we've done, in terms of the recent ones we've done, this is a huge... This is a huge thing. I'd say more so than possibly, like, um, at the early Christian drama and the Roman theatre and... Do you see what I mean? It's quite a big, important one for the people of the time. I mean, it's one which we've been saving for a while because also, mm. like, it is a, quite a well-known one and it is a... Um, and also, like, a lot of them, we can tell a lot of the changes, the minute changes, we kind of go chronologically because of court. Mm. Whereas this is real regional towns. So I'll join you with that. Welcome, Mystery Plays. You are in the house of... Yay! That's it. We've just covered mystery cycles. Well, perhaps not all of it, but as much as we can. If you enjoyed this episode, you can rate and review us and press subscribe to stay up to date on all the latest episodes. Have you got a nugget about mystery plays that you'd like to share? We'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch via social media. On Twitter and YouTube, we are at House of Revels. And on Instagram, we are House of Revels with underscores. So at House underscore of underscore Revels. <laughs> or be old school and drop us an email at houseofrevelspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening today. See you next time. Bye-bye. I'm listening to The Sandman on oh, Audible. Okay. The two gargoyles called Cain and Abel. And Abel keeps on getting murdered by Cain. And he gets a gargoyle called Irving. <laughs> <laughs> so it's now just forget like biblical I'm not just Italian it's, it's gargoyles. all gar- well they weren't oh, yeah. gargoyles here they were people <laughs>